But I want you to think about those who don't know Jesus. The world's going to respond in the only way that they know how, and that's in fear and panic. True. That's what they do. But we respond in what? Faith and peace. Because the Prince of Peace has touched our good. Amen, amen. Amen. At this time, we could have the children dismissed for children. Chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 8 this morning as we go into his word this morning. Um, many times we come to church playing games. A lot of times we do. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't think about it. Uh, we, we do. Uh, in other words, we'll, you know, sometimes we can, we're being fake when God's heart for us is to be real. Sometimes we come in here like there's nothing wrong, I'm okay, I'm, I'm good to go, right? We've all heard the stories about the families who get in almost in a fist fight in their van coming to church, and then they get out of the car and they put the smiling face on and they come on in and uh, everything is like hunky-dory, it's all real good, right? And uh, like, everything is really good. So, uh, so I'm going to ask you all a question. How many of you ever get uncomfortable in church? You ever get uncomfortable in church? Hey, Amen. That's not unusual, right? And listen, it's meant to be that way. That means the Holy Spirit's working, right? You get uncomfortable in church for a reason. Uh, sometimes standing up here, I can get uncomfortable just standing up here. Sometimes as I'm speaking the Word of God and He speaks to my heart. Um, the answer is because, see, the Holy Spirit it deals with you and He deals with me. So to be real the way God wants you, it takes real faith. And so we're going to kind of hit on faith today. It takes real faith to be real. Is your faith real this morning? That's my Number one question for each and every one. Is your faith really real? Is it real this morning? Today we're going to look at three categories of faith. Here's the first one. The first one is some of you come to church. There's some people that come to church at times and they have no faith. You ever walk into church and like your faith was very small and you don't have any faith. There are people that actually sit in churches all over the place that have no faith. And we're glad that those people are here. Because if there's a great place to get faith is where? It's in the church, right? Where you hear the word of God. Because we know without faith, it's impossible to do what? To please God. Without faith, it's absolutely impossible to please God. God doesn't save you based in the quantity of your faith. But listen, but listen, but on the quality of your faith. That's what God does. God's all about faith. He's all about it. God wants real faith. He wants real faith in you. And he wants real faith where? In me. Every time. Number two, some of you here are Christians and you find yourself drift, drifting away from God. You ever drifted away from God? Listen, why? Because something is going on in your life. And it may be something physical or maybe something emotional or maybe financial. And you have found yourself drift, drifting from your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and that happens. And I'm sure it happens right here in this very room. And then there's a the third people. Then some of you are solid in your faith. You're here, listen, to learn and to help others obtain, listen, that faith and real faith in Christ Jesus. And I commend you for being here. So today we're going to pick up where we left off from last week with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8. And my question, my second question is, who is a real Christian? Who is a real Christian? A real Christian is someone whose faith is real and genuine. Y'all agree to that? Amen. Amen. Real and genuine. We pick up and we see where Paul has been traveling around. What's he been doing? Planting churches everywhere he goes. He plants churches. So Paul decides to plant a church here in Ephesus. Ephesus is a busy and it's a crazy place. You hear me? It is really a crazy place. 
And so, and it's kind of like a gateway to, to Asia and a gateway to Europe. That's kind of what Ephesus is, kind of like a big metropolis, traveling trade route, going through, going, coming and going. And there's a lot, a lot of people right there in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus is built around a temple. The temple of the Romans called it the Temple of Diana. The Greeks called it the Temple of Artemis. Listen, the temple was huge. I'll tell you how big it was. It was 10 times larger than the Parthenon, which sits on the Acropolis in Athens, Greece. Now listen, uh, some of you might not mean much. You've never seen it. I've been there. I stood in front of it. the huge, uh, huge columns that it has. It's enormous. Well, this, this one here in Ephesus is like 10 times larger than the one in Athens, Greece. If you've ever seen pictures of it, like when the Olympics come on, if they're in Athens, it sits on first on that hill. Listen, the, the Parthenon, listen, this thing puts the Parthenon to shame. It's like 10 times bigger. And so and it was also considered in antiquity one of the seven wonders of the world. So it was a big place. So here we, we, uh, we will see where Christianity comes to Ephesus. We see Christianity coming to Ephesus through the Apostle Paul, Keelan, and Priscilla. We've already been kind of talking about them. And you know what happens is it collides. It collides with the pagan deities and gods that are there. It collides with uh, the Diana and Artemis and all that. Everything, it just really collides. The devil has his false gods colliding with Jesus, the only true God that there ever was and ever is. So let's begin reading in Acts 19, starting in verse 8. Y'all ready? Put your seatbelts on. We're going to go now. Here we go. Verse 8. Then he, Paul, entered the synagogue, spoke boldly over a period of how many months? Three months. Engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things of the kingdom of God. Paul was bold. He was bold in his proclamation of Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. The only way, truth, and life, right? If you have friends that are not Christians, listen, don't argue with them. You can't change them. Only God can change people just like he changed you. So you can't argue with them, but you can boldly proclaim Christ. Right? And we need to do that. Like Paul did, you will never win them over. In fact, you can't. God has to be the one to win them over. We see here that Paul was right in what he said. He was telling truth. And listen, and some were won over to the Lord, no doubt. But listen, look at verse 9, look what it says. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, which is what the Christian, the church was called the way back then, in front of the crowd. Listen, some of you, and this is what I think about when I look at this verse. Some of you, listen, will be drawn away from God or you will be drawn to God. It's very easy. It happens all the time. Some of you will be drawn to God and some of you will resist God. Why? Because listen, the gospel always forces us to choose. The gospel always forces you and me to choose every single time. You're going to choose. You say, well, Pastor Bill, I'm not going to choose while I'm here. Yes, you are. If I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you as what I'm doing here this morning, listen, you're going to choose before you walk out here what you're going to do with Jesus. Listen, no choice, no, it's a choice. And we need to make sure we understand it is a choice. Listen, it's impossible when you present the gospel to remain neutral. You cannot remain neutral ever. You will come closer to God or you will drift further away from God. The gospel always forces you to choose every single time. The way, listen, it was that the Christians that were called in the early church, they were called the way. And I have a question, what religion received the most hostility in the news today? What do you think, church? Christianity, by far, bar none. Christianity receives the, receives the, the worst, the, the worst uh, persecution all over the globe. 
And, and it's the truth. It's the truth. We are. And so Christianity, every time, we've got to count it. No doubt always. The Word of God says, uh, says that Paul withdrew. He withdrew from them when they were being persecuted. They started uh, negating what Paul was preaching and what he was talking about. It says he withdrew from them and met separately with the disciples, conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Because of Paul's preaching, they were getting so big that they had to find a space, a different space, besides the synagogues and the, and the local homes. So they had this lecture hall called Ty- Tyrannus. His name literally means tyrant, which is kind of weird. The guy's name meant tyrant. Why would you do that? But see, who knows? The Lord probably, he probably won him to the Lord as well. Paul would literally preach there over the next two years. And every day he would do this during the lunch hour. I want you to think about it. Back in the first century in Ephesus, what they would do is they would start work at daylight. They would go to about 11 o'clock, and then they would take a break in the heat of the day. And then they would have like a, what we would call a siesta, right? And they would just kind of hang out, and they would have lunch and this and that. And then about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, then what they would do is they would pick up working again, and they would work to dark, to dark, to dusk. And so here was a perfect time. Now think about this. For two years, Paul had this lecture hall. And for two years, uh, Jesus was using Paul to present the gospel, to equip, disciple, and train people in the field. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for them to do that. This gave Paul time to preach and teach Jesus to all the folks. In fact, some scholars believe that the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelations that we read about, listen, probably came out of these two years of instruction that Paul delivered. So it's pretty interesting when you start looking at this, because it was a gateway to where? Asia, right? And we know that it was. Look at verse 10. And this went on for two years, so that all the inhabitants of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the message about the Lord. Now things seem to get kind of weird or bizarre as we look into the passage of Scripture. Look at verse 11. God was performing extraordinary and unusual miracles by Paul's hands. Unusual miracles by Paul's hands. What, why does God not do the same miracles today in the church that he did back what we're seeing here? Some say because the Holy Spirit or God's completed word that those divine miracles were for a certain period of time back then, right? We call those folks who believe that sensationalists. But listen, there there are some groups of folks in our church community today that say, yes, these miracles still do happen today. Same miracles, and we call these folks charismatics. You've heard the term. So we can't really argue that they're not happening today in some part of the world. I also do not put God in a box. This pastor, I never put God in a box. The only thing that God can't do is what? Sin. God can make a donkey talk. Right? God can do whatever he wants. He just, he just, he won't, he he will not sin. That's against his character and his nature to do that, right? And this is much different in Luke's eyes. Uh, than the normative, and this why is he, he is writing this here that it was unusual or extraordinary. Luke says a little weird and, and didn't really fully understand what was taking place. So why do we need to understand why things got a little weird uh, or out of control? I'll tell you why. Because some of you do. Some of you do. You are tired of running your life. You messed it up and know, listen, you need God to do something great in your life to fix it. Some miracle. Some of you do things without thinking and then end up praying for crop failure. You ever do that? Oh, Lord, forgive me for what I just did. I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. So you pray for crop failure. Why? Because, listen, 
What you sow, more you sow, and you sow. It's true. What you sow, listen, you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. You sow to Jesus and life, you're going to reap everlasting life. Isn't that awesome? So instead of surrendering your entire life to God, you say, God, you can have this much of my life. You ever do that? You can have this much of my life. Or God, I'm going to give you every square inch of my life, but leave my, listen, leave my dating and finances out of it. Don't hey, Dave, we do that. People do that. Or God, I'm going to give you every square inch of my life. Uh, listen, my whole life, just don't tell me who to date and how to spend my money. We do. Or God, I want you to heal my marriage, but don't tell me how to treat my wife. Right? And ladies, God, God, don't tell me how to pray for my husband. I think about that right there, and I think about Deneen. She read a book many, many years ago called The Power of a Praying Wife. It's written by Tony Evans. And you know why she read it? Because <laughs> she needed some prayers answered concerning this boy right here. I was a mess. I was a real mess. And so, and so God, listen. God, I want you to bless me in my life. You can have everything between this hand and this hand. Or maybe you're saying, God, the pastor was powerful today. I'm only going to devote this little bit of my life today. Just this little bit, right? Do whatever you want between here, God. The rest is mine, God. Okay, listen, maybe you've been a Christian for a very, very long time. Okay, God, I'm going to dedicate this much time to you between my two fingers on one hand. Maybe. Maybe that's what you're doing. In this area of my life, Lord, move radically. I give it all to you, Lord. I give it all to you. And we wonder why God never does anything wonderful or great in our life. So, I got the answer. You ready for the answer? Here's the answer. Are you ready? Here we go. God either wants all of you or none of you. This has been something that's been on my heart ever since I've been here. As I preach. Because I, I love each and every one of you. And I'm still learning. He wants all of me or none of me. He wants all of you or he wants none of you. There's no in between. There's no, there's, no, there's no picking and choosing here. I mean, there's picking and choosing. You either follow Jesus or you follow yourself and your desires. And so, and so this morning, and this can be very hard this morning. Because we do, we pick up, you know, we're only going to go this far with God. We're only going to do just this little bit. We're only going to do this. There's certain things we don't want to allow God to have rule or reign over. And I'm telling you this morning that that's not God's way. God's way is to have all of you or none of you. And we need to, we need to think about that this morning. Jesus was asked the most important commandment. What was it? Matthew 22, 37. He said, love the Lord. God with what? All your what? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything that you are, right? That's a commandment. That's what we do. That means every square inch of who we are belongs to God. And then he said, the same way we love God, we've got to love our neighbors, right? So we really need to think more about others than we do our own self. And so we need to think about it that way. Ladies, I want to, I want to ask this here. When you got married, what if your husband said, yes, but I'm only going to give you half of my heart. How would you feel? How would you feel? Really? Okay, I'll give you 51% of my heart. 
How about that? 51%, right? I'll serve you with only 51% of my heart, ladies. Honey, I'm going to marry you, but I'm going to serve you with 51% of my heart. How would you feel? You would feel, some of you ladies might say, hey, I'll take it. That's a deal because he only gives me 32%, right? You might do that, right? No, 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 no. I hope that's not the case. Listen, it doesn't mean he can't fix. Listen, listen. It, he says, no, ladies. He says, you want all of his heart, don't you? You want every square inch of it. So why would God compromise who he is and not take all of who you are? Tell me that. Why would he do that? You see, God does not negotiate either. 100% or nothing. You can take that to the bank, church. Listen, listen. If you're 99% saved, listen, you're not 1% lost. You're 100% lost. You can't be partially saved. It doesn't work that way. It's either all or none. So we've got to stop playing games of faith. We've got to have faith in Christ Jesus. In Ephesus, it was a little weird or unusual, but that's okay because God was moving in the midst of what was going on. So what kind of things happen? Look at verse 12. It gets interesting. So that even face cloths or work aprons that had touched Paul's skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So here we see some highly unusual miracles taking place by who? By Paul. Back then when he was a tent maker, right? He would work, he'd wear headbands for sweat, have an apron to wipe his face off and this and that. And what happened was the people were taking these things, touching other people, and they were getting miraculously healed and delivered. Delivered of diseases, delivered of evil spirits, all those kind of things, right? So listen, I'm going to ask you, don't come up here and grab my hanky. Because you'll freak me out and I'll have to run out of here. Anyway, so anyway, but, but think about this. Listen, things were bizarre in Ephesus. And why were they bizarre in Ephesus? Let me tell you why. Because, listen, we have Satan through the goddess of Diana doing battle with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in that city. And listen, and God wants to transform that city. That's why Paul is there. That's why we're here. That's why we're in Beverly Hills. That's why we're here. Because God wants to transform our city, our community for Jesus. Darkness and light are pounding each other in Ephesus, and boom, God does powerful things through Paul. Look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Come out, right? They tried to use the name of Jesus to get what they wanted. People do that today. You ever met people that do that today? I've had guys that have given me a business card with a fish symbol on it. You ever had that? And then you'd see him live a life that was like definitely counter of what Jesus' word teaches. To gain favor from people. To add more business to their business. Right? To do that. Politicians do it too, right? Amen. They, they, they do. They do it to gain favor of the people. We see it in our own government. Listen, and listen, I, I went to... Um, I did go to a rally in Fayetteville back when uh, President Trump and Pence were running for office. I went to a rally up there and, and uh, Vice President Prince, and I like Vice President uh, Pence. I think he's a good man. I think there's nothing wrong with it. But he gets up there and he'll quote out of Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. You ever hear him quote that? Uh, listen, I want to challenge you. Listen to YouTube. Listen to him quote that scripture. 
Uh, he tends to leave out some scripture on there. Especially the part where it says to turn from your wicked ways. You won't hear him say that. And that's probably the most important part of that scripture. Is to turn from your wicked ways. To turn from your wicked ways. This is what happens. Sometimes we just try to do things and we try to adjust things uh, to get the favor of people. And we have to be careful of that. We, that's why we need to know what the Word says. We need to listen intently. In fact, I was wanting to go up and shake his hand. I was trying to get up there because I was going to ask him the question. Why do you leave that out? <laughs> but I never got to so I guess it wasn't meant for me to go up there and do that. I don't know. But anyway, because I would have asked him. I said, that's the most important part of Scripture. To turn from your wicked ways. To repent. Turn around. You know? And he, and he would leave it out. Check your YouTube. You'll see what I'm talking about. Now let's see what happens with these false preachers going house to house, praying and curing some people. And they were praying and curing some people. But they will, listen, one time they're going to catch a real evil fish. And these were the seven sons of a Jewish priest. Let's read in verse 14. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. Listen, we're doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul. But who are you? Listen, these guys were kind of like, they were like sons of a, of a Jewish priest or whatever, a rabbi or whatever. And said so these guys were like pastor's kids. This is the way I look at it. They had, had all the answers. They knew exactly what to say. They were fake Christians and they were evil. This is what they were. I'm not saying all pastor's kids are evil, but sometimes, sometimes you think so. Anyway. But one time, listen, as they were doing these services and doing and praying for people, and I'm sure when they prayed for some people, some people got healed. Because there was something just in their mind. They're praying. We pray for people. Sometimes you do feel better. Amen? Sometimes we do. We put our faith in Christ and we're praying sincerely. God does something in our life and we think that guy did it. When actually just your prayer of faith is what healed you. How many times did these women would come up to Jesus and they were sick and this and that. He said, man, go away. Your faith has healed you because you believed in me. And so that's why we need to believe in Jesus. So listen, but, but one time, listen, true darkness, you know only the, uh, you know the only thing that can meet true darkness is, and overcome it is what? Is true light. The light dispels the darkness every time. Before you go through anything, listen, make, before you go through anything, make sure you know Jesus. Man, if you're going to go through bankruptcy or relationship issues, whatever the case may be, listen, you want Jesus before you crash, I promise. I'd rather see you go through stuff with Jesus than without Jesus. It doesn't mean he can't fix after crash. It's just better if he's in your life before you crash. This is one time the devil replied back. And listen, this is something that none of us want. Look at verse 15. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus. And I recognize Paul, but who are you? The demon says, I know Jesus. Listen, all the demons know Jesus. They even know Paul. But here's my question to you. Do you live your life in a way that all the demons in hell know your name? That's, that's huge. Do you live your life in such a way that the demons know, the demons know exactly who you are? Because you thwart every activity that they're trying to do and disrupt and create. That's a very pointed question. Demon says, but who are you? And you might say, well, I'm Fred. Which means you're going to be dead. Right? Listen. 
Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit, what happened? Leaped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Look at this. The demon overpowers them. He has power. Seven Sceva brothers had no power. They had none. This is you today trying to overcome an addiction or a hurt or a hang-up or a habit. Listen, with no power. This is why you are overcome by the enemy, the devil. No power. You're losing. Listen, attacked with such violence, let's beat them up and took their clothes. Now that is not a good fight. You go home and you're beat up and you're naked. That was a, that was a bad fight. And bloody. Look at verse 17. This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Then fear <laughs> fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. This news spread everywhere. Think about it. Everyone feared what happened. The name of Jesus became real in Ephesus. And the result, look, look at verse 18. It says, And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. Look what happened as a result of all this taking place. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone, so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Some say it's like, it's like a million dollars. In this way, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. The whole city practiced witchcraft, incantations, potions, etc., this and that. They didn't care. Listen, even the value of the books uh, they burned to follow Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. He was most important to them now. What if God was mighty in our land, in our community, transforming everyone just like he was doing here in Ephesus? It'd be awesome. And it could happen right here in Beverly Hills and beyond. If we share the word of God, the faith in God. So the big question this morning is, how do you know you have real faith in God? How do you know you have real faith in God? And I want you to write this down, okay? Number one, it cannot be faked forever. You cannot be faked forever. You're going to be disclosed. Listen, you can fool your pastor. Listen, you can fool Christian Mingle. <laughs> Christian Mingle, that's another one. Right? Christian Mingle, you think everybody's a Christian on Christian Mingle? No, I can guarantee you one thing. The only thing that's 100% is that people mingle on Christian Mingle. Listen, you can listen to Chris Tomlin all day. Does that make you a Christian? You know why? It, it cannot be faked forever. Look at Romans 2, 16. It says, On the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Your secret life is going to be judged. You can't hide it from God. You know, I look at all of you. I see what's on the outside. I can't see in your heart. But God can see in your heart. And you're going to be judged one day. Some of you have a public life, but some of you have a private life. And they don't go together. You will be held accountable for every sin. Listen, or you can get saved and trust Jesus your Savior. Repent and trust the Savior. And the blood of Jesus covers all of your sin and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. 
Why don't people fall on their faces and worship Jesus? So we, it cannot be fake forever. Number two, real faith in God respects the name and reputation of Jesus. Real faith in God respects the name and reputation of Jesus. Some of you care about your name and reputation, and that's not bad. But, but you should care about the name of Jesus and his reputation more than your own. More than your own. You must keep him ever, listen, we must keep him ever before us. We all make mistakes, even as church, we mess up. But listen, but we must always protect the name and the reputation of Jesus Christ. Always, always. No matter what happens to us, we must protect the name and reputation of Jesus. People don't reject Jesus because of his reputation, but because of mine and yours. And it's something to think about. Don't claim to be a Christian and act like a pagan. We cannot do that. When you blow it, then own it. If you blow it, own it. I blew it. Get it under the blood. What you do will lead people to Jesus or away from Jesus. Jesus wants you to love a life that encourages people to follow him. He wants you to love a life that encourages, listen, people to follow him every single time. Number three, real faith in God creates a desire to confess sin. You ever desire to confess sin? We're not perfect. No one can be perfect. But we can't be perfect, but we can be real. And we need to be, that's one, one reason we do Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. Listen, that's a place, and I've been part of Celebrate Recovery before, and it seems like sometimes Celebrate Recovery is more real than it is on Sunday morning in church. I felt that, and I'm sure Crystal, probably you probably felt it down here in Florida. I felt it in North Carolina. I had more freedom for some reason. I don't know. I guess because everybody was kind of like-minded and unified and we all knew we were broken and we were misfits. <laughs> and we knew it. Something to think about. So how do we get rid of sin? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's what? Faithful and just, forgives our sin and help me out here, church. Cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. All of us. That's how you do it. That should be a daily thing for you. For me. It is for me. <laughs> Get that elephant out of the room of your life today. In Christianity, we are called to be loyalists to Jesus. Loyal, true, faithful. Why? Because, listen, he is faithful to us every single time. Every single time. Look at number four. Number four, real faith is reflected in two things. One, desires. We must change to have spiritual desires instead of fleshly desires. Spiritual desires are most important. 1 Peter 4.2 says, In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for what? God's will. But for God's will. Galatians 5.19-23. Listen. Now the works of the flesh are what? Are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfies, ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And notice in verse 19 it says it's the works of the flesh. We work it. We work those things. But in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? Self-control, all those things. Against such things there is no law. 
Number two, my attitudes. One is my desires. Number two is my attitudes. Philippians 2, 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And once again, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, and all those things. This list and fruit of the Spirit you cannot produce on your own. Here's the difference between the two. You cannot produce the list that God gives us on our own. It takes His help to do it. He has to control everything you do. So quit trying to fix stuff. Get underneath God and His Word and His Spirit and let Him fix it. Let Him give it to God. Let Him fix it. You're dealing with junk. Listen, you've got to make a conscious decision to say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not taking that drug anymore. I'm not drinking that drink anymore. I'm not smoking that weed anymore. I'm not doing this. You've got to make a conscious decision. But you've got to understand this. You don't have the power to overcome it. Only the Spirit of God has the power to overcome it. That's why when you abide in Him, He abides in you. And you will bear much fruit because apart from Him, it says you cannot do anything at all. And I love that verse. One of my anchor verses in my life. I can't do it. I can't even stand up here and do this without his power. And when I try to do it without his power, guess what? It's a mess. It's not right. Don't feel right. Don't look right. But God in his grace and mercy has a way to deliver anyway. It's amazing to me. Amazing to me. The works of the flesh you do on your own. The second list isn't asking you to do it or produce it, but Jesus asks you to let his power do it. Battling addictions or something, you say, I can't defeat this. And you're so right, can't defeat it. God doesn't ask you to do this on your own. It's only by his power you can do anything. And finally, number five, if my faith is real, it will show up in my finances. The Bible says you cannot serve both God and money. You must choose what you're going to serve. People were saved at Ephesus, and the most valuable sessions were their books of witchcraft and all that junk. And what they do, they brought them to the center of town, and they said they had a big bonfire. That's what they did. Why? Because their faith in God was real. It was real. They said, you, God, can have all my life. He will change our finances. We must trust him. Listen, fake faith can't help you, but a real relationship can. So I want to ask you, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have real faith? Or do you have no faith? Or do you have faith that, that kind of wanders off because you allow the feelings and the circumstances of your life overwhelm you? Do things overwhelm you? Do you get emotional because things don't seem to be going right in your life? Maybe because of a bad decision or whatever was made? Or maybe no decision at all? Maybe the no decision was the bad decision. Right? You ever think about that? And, just, and because of that, you find yourself... Like you're being dangled over the edge of a cliff, ready to fall off, and you. And so many of us, man, we'll we'll live on the edge of we'll live on the edge of the ledge, and and we flirt around with the stuff, and we try to fix it ourselves rather than trust in Jesus and trust in God. God doesn't want you to live on the edge of the ledge. He wants you to step back and trust in Him fully, completely, honestly, with every aspect of your life. My life is, that's what my life is, I, is I, every day I, I try to strive to do this. And it's not that I, and he says, cease striving, know that I'm God. And so I got to tell myself that every day, cease striving, cease striving. Let me do it, Phil, let me do it. Let me do it through your life. Listen, I've placed you where you're at. I've placed you here for work. I've placed you here to make much of me. And listen, trust me to be able to deliver that. No, I'm not perfect. Now, now I make mistakes. As my wife said to you. She's gracious, she wouldn't, but... But she will. 
I know she tells some of you ladies stuff. Uh-huh. Busted. No. But listen, but it's so true. I'm a mess. I'm only here by the grace of God. I'm only a pastor by the grace of God. My heartbeat is to attain a level of, of, of surrender and servant to, to Jesus so that I can be a servant to him, so that I can, I can be a good example for each and every one of you to follow. Follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Until we finally attain the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that, hey, one day we're going to stand before him. And it's a lot sooner than we think. Whether it's coronas or old age, I don't know. We're going to meet. We have an appointment. And you didn't make that appointment. Jesus makes that appointment. And you're going to meet him face to face. And you've got to stand there and you've got to give an account for your life. And what you did with it. And what you didn't do with it. That you should have done with it. And so listen, true faith. True faith. Be real. Quit being fake. Don't be false. Leave your mask at home. 